Hello and welcome to Ravelin's podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Sean Culpitz, Senior Fraud Investigator at Just Eats Takeaway. Sean's fraud fighting expertise knows no bounds and I'm very excited to have him on the podcast today. Today, we'll be discussing the fraud challenges faced by the food delivery marketplace industry and the steps merchants can take to mitigate these risks to their business. Hi, Sean, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Lola. Thanks for having me here for this opportunity. It's great to have you. So to kick things off, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into fraud fighting? Yeah, absolutely. It, it almost seems like I was bred for this position. I started off in an accounting role, um, got bored very quickly. <laughs> From there, I moved into another desk position, being the inventory and logistics analyst for a large agricultural manufacturer here in the city with some global reach. Um, there, I was basically doing the same thing that I'm doing now, but instead of looking into people's patterns of behaviors and finding the fraud behind it, uh, I was looking into inventory problems and how to make logistics deliveries more efficient. Uh, from there, I wanted to do something a little bit different, got into some physical security and loss prevention. And after a small altercation, wife decided that I should get back behind a desk, landed into an entry-level position at Skip the Dishes. And within one month, I uncovered an organized crime ring just by happenstance and put myself forward to be part of the fraud team that was developing there, got in, and now I'm the senior invest fraud investigator for the global fraud operations team for JustEatTakeaway.com. That's such a journey. and I can't believe you managed to find a fraud ring within a month. Yeah, it, it was fun. And, you know, back in those times, they didn't hide very easily. Now they do. So it's clear that you were very much meant to be in this industry. It's almost like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess moving into food delivery fraud, fraudsters are a whole new beast now, particularly in food delivery marketplaces where, you know, food delivery apps for I'm, myself included are a mainstay of modern life. So the average consumer has at least two apps on their phone and use them around three times a month. So this obviously is gonna have huge implications for fraud, more users, more places for fraudsters to hide. So in your opinion, from when you first started to now, how has awareness of e-commerce fraud changed over the past few years? Oh, it's grown exponentially. The thing is, it's double-sided. It's not only grown on the side of consumers and businesses realizing that, hey, you know what, there are some problems out there, especially on the consumer side when it's come to ATOs and card frauds, and then on the business side, just the losses that have happened because of the increase in fraud and press exposure overall, but on the fraud side as well. The fraudsters have realized, especially during the time of pandemic, that there's been this turn to online purchasing. So they follow the flow and are better able to hide themselves amidst the increased volume. So fraudsters definitely like to hide in plain sight. So where there's more activity, there is always more fraud. And the same can be said for difficult economic times. So how do you think the current economic climate is going to impact these types of fraud as cost of living goes up and money is tighter for most people? Have you seen any changes recently? Yes, more of a turn towards fraud as a service. Uh, what, what you see is in any hard economic times or any large scale event across the world, 
you, you see an increase in fraud and whatever is most effective. And right now it appears to be fraud as a service on the rise. What you'll see is customers looking for a deal basically, and they find these offerings on the surface web right in front of their faces, many different social media platforms, uh, discussion sites where these offerings are happening. And you know why not save a few bucks? They don't realize often that it is actually a fraudulent service using stolen credentials or some other fraudulent means to perpetrate these orders. Uh, they just see that, hey, you know what? I'm saving 20, 30, 50% on my order. Why not put it through? You mentioned here two different types of actors within this. So you have the professional fraudster who is advertising their services online. And then you have the, the genuine customer who is maybe being a bit more opportunistic or just doesn't really know that they're committing fraud essentially. And this is similar to what we've seen in our research around food delivery marketplaces, particularly when it comes to, like you said, fraud as service and policy abuse. Yeah, absolutely. An increase in policy abuse as well. Like you do have people just trying to make ends meet, as I mentioned, right? They're in hard times. They just want to save a few bucks. So what's using some coupons, vouchers excessively or in breach of terms and conditions? In those instances, a lot of people don't feel that they're committing anything fraudulent, that they're not really doing anything wrong because the platforms and the allowances are accepting these and letting it happen. Um, unfortunately, it does breach TNC. It does lead to potential company losses. So it is something that businesses don't want. And then on the other hand, yes, you have your professional fraudsters who are taking advantage of the situation as well. They know that people are in hard times. So they're going to put themselves out there, you know, of course, behind masks to keep their identities safe and their businesses going. But they're still reaching out and offering these services in places where just average ordinary people can see them and of course in these hard times they're picking up on them and placing orders through them and with these customers this kind of behavior i guess can be quite a slippery slope it's one thing to you know refund something that you maybe shouldn't have refunded but once you see it's easy to do it becomes habitual behavior um, in your opinion, do you think it's possible to reform opportunistic customers? In many instances, I think you can. Ba basically, these people, they don't necessarily realize that they're doing something that's wrong. There are those, of course, who are absolutely malicious in this, and they're trying to find ways to work around so that they can always keep doing some form of policy abuse. Um, but a lot of them, you see that they're not doing so with a really high velocity to the point where it is what's sustaining them. They're just doing it because it's there and it's available and they have that opportunity to. So in those instances, if you do find some way to say, prevent it from happening, there is that opportunity for them to perhaps reform. As you mentioned, these people, they want to keep placing orders, getting their food or parcels, whatever the service may be. They're just trying to save a few bucks. But if they can't save a few bucks, you know, although they may order a little bit less, they're still going to do so with you. So if you can allow them to continue placing orders or continue getting refunds or at some point using vouchers or coupons again, then why not give them that opportunity? 
And what would you recommend merchants do in this situation? Like, how can they go about balancing mitigating this fraudulent behaviour whilst also retain these customers who, like you said, will probably go on to still spend money and to make orders? Yeah, if we're speaking specifically on policy abuse, it's a little bit easier because when it comes to a lot of policies, you're the one who determines what that threshold is where someone becomes bad for business, where someone is considered a bad actor. Um, so with, with that, they obviously have met your set criteria of X, Y, Z. And at that point, you don't want them to be able to abuse the system anymore. So if you action them in the way, the way that you choose to, whether it's prevention or just denial of some form of service, be it a refund or uh, the acceptance of vouchers or coupons, at some point, if they continue placing orders with you, and they're not abusing anything or trying to abuse anything, you can then set an additional criteria where you've recouped your money or whatever the case may be. Uh, they meet XYZ criteria. Well, why not give them the opportunity to continue to be on this path of goodness, you know, being a genuine customer and see how they go. And of course, if they do fall back into their bad habits again, you're going to want to action them a little bit more harshly than you did in the first place. Perhaps a permanent ban from placing orders or using vouchers, coupons, getting refunds, whatever the case may be. And tackling policy abuse presumably can't be handled by the fraud team alone. So you mentioned terms and conditions. That's something that will require input from the legal team or the actual initiatives themselves when it comes to promotions, it's the marketing team who comes up with these initiatives. So what, in your opinion, is the most ideal way to work with the wider company when it comes to tackling policy abuse and similar fraud types that do require investment from other teams within the business? A lot of different fraud involves additional teams get getting in there with you. Um, you know, there's developer time that you need to help create tools to help you prevent fraud, detect fraud. There's your business intelligence teams, as you mentioned, marketing, legal. Uh, you have to go through finance, all sorts of different pillars within the company. You know, you have to work with your ops teams. With that, you really have to speak their language, depending on who you're talking to. So, for example, if you're speaking to finance, you really want to put everything in dollars and cents right? Because that's what they're interested in. When you're speaking with ops, you really want to keep it customer centric. Keep it focused on the customer, the output that you're having, your false positive rates, you know, how much is this costing us? You really have to speak to your audience, which is something my manager has really worked hard to teach me. And it's gone a long way because our reach has grown exponentially as the team learns that you really need to play to the audience and who you're speaking to. That's great advice. And I think can help anyone in any industry it's about knowing your audience and what their goals are and communicating it in a way that's meaningful to them absolutely otherwise they're not going to be able to make sense of it and you're not going to get the result that you desire because not everyone knows fraud like you do so you're going there and you just start talking about fraud and we need to stop this we need to stop that you're going to have a lot of questions and unfortunately even if it's not meant a lot of pushback but if you can translate everything to their language what they need to hear to get the outcome that you desire it'll really help you a long way great advice um you mentioned social media and its impact on fraud earlier 
as well as fraud as a service. So what are the main methods you're seeing from both professional fraudsters and opportunistic customers when it comes to social media and professional fraudsters advertising their skills, if you will, to everyday people? That's one area where the fraudsters really have us beat. Communication. They have these open channels of communication that us as fraud fighters don't have and can't utilize. And it makes sense that we can't in a lot of instances, but they're on social media platforms, be it Facebook, even LinkedIn. Uh, I haven't seen any advertisements on LinkedIn, but they do use LinkedIn for fraudulent means. They'll, you'll see them post offerings on Discord. There'll be discussions amongst customers and fraudsters alike in Reddit, explaining how to do certain things. Telegram has blown up exponentially with it being anonymous. It's really, really hard to trace back to put in any preventative measure in place. So with that, you see everything right on the surface web in front of you. So when it comes to the professional fraudsters, of course, they'll have their advertisements up, you know, hey, I'm offering this, you know, contact me with this, pay me with this. And then when you move on to discussion groups, like say Reddit, that's where you see more of just your customer base, the opportunistic people, just kind of discussing, you know, what's worked for them in the past. Uh, if a fraudster ends up with, within one of those chains, then it starts becoming monetary offerings. So fraud as a service, for example, offering to get refunds for customers, um, offering to explain some sort, sort of form of workaround, but that all comes at a cost, of course. And then you'll also see marketplaces set up that offer not only services, but credentials even. And that's right on the surface web. So for example, sites kind of like Shopify, but not Shopify. Uh, a couple sites that were exposed before were Shopee and Celix. And their marketplaces that people had set up were selling anything from just simple orders and gift cards. And then I saw things on there for guns and drugs. So it's right there on the surface web for anyone to find. Oh, wow. That's actually very scary. It's so public and accessible to the average person. But I'm curious as to what do you see from your side? So what patterns stand out when looking at fraud as a service or triangulation fraud what you end up seeing there um, it depends on how they're doing so but typically what you'll see is either ordering a lot of the same stuff or from a lot of the same locations like for example when you're looking at uh, food delivery you'll probably see a lot of the same locations used over and over again that are having say, for example, chargebacks, right, hitting them, or you're tracing some form of fraudulent activity and it keeps leading to the same location. Their offerings aren't necessarily your entire service set, not all your suppliers. So you see these triangulation frauds happening at limited amounts of locations. But then when it comes to, you know, like physical products, you'll see them ordering the same things quite often and you know i hate to bring it up part of that i love them but sony with, with the release of the ps5 those bots picking them up that wasn't all just to get the inventory to sell later but some of that was already sold and 
what can you do, I guess? So when it comes to these ads across social media, is this something you can track and stop or are you at the whim of these platforms and you have to wait until it hits you essentially? Unfortunately, when it comes to stopping it, it's up to that platform themselves. We can expose things and report them as much as we want, but ultimately it's not on our side. So a lot of them, they do have, you know, their support or report email addresses or contacts that you can get a hold of to take these things down. But as soon as they do, another one pops up. So really when it comes to the prevention of these services being offered as they are, they have to be fought by the platform that they're showing up on. These forces, they're so adaptable and so quick to change out there. Mo, it's a wonder how you're able to stop any of them at all. You really have to keep educating yourself. You know, as a fraud fighter, get out there and be part of what you can. Get involved in the community, join different organizations, go to roundtables, watch webinars and panel discussions, take courses, keep learning. Because if you stop, you're going to miss a lot of the fraud that's going on. Uh, even things that are happening on industries that aren't related to your own, a lot of elements of those, even if it's not the full-blown fraud, are going to be landing on your platform as well. You know, So educate yourself so you can be prepared and try and keep up. Definitely. That makes sense. Kind of keeping an eye on what's happening in the wider market, not necessarily just your industry, is probably very helpful because eventually it will reach you. You don't want to wait until that point. Then it'll be too late. Yeah, you really have to. And you have to be creative as well. Like a, a good friend of mine, Mr. Alexander Hall, he has a saying, think like a fraudster. Well, you know what? That is absolutely true because everything that you can be witness to and learn about, if you can imagine it happening, there's a good chance that it is happening, if not on your platform, somewhere else. So you know what? Get those ideas in your head and grab the data and test it out and see what might be going on. And if you don't find anything, at least you have that idea of something you can do to help protect yourself in the future. That is a pretty terrifying thought. So I would make a little transition to supplier fraud, which is a pretty unique challenge to marketplaces. And I'd be interested to hear a bit more about what you're seeing when it comes to supplier fraud, in particular courier fraud. Yeah, no worries. When it comes to courier fraud, there's a lot of different things that they can do. And th this is known through what's been in media and what fraud fighters and groups have discussed already. You know, thanks to Pokemon Go, there's GPS spoofing, of course, which can happen. You know, there's taking a lot of opportunity to abuse policies as well. So for example, if you're offering some form of referral or some form of bonus, you're going to see that, you know, a courier may try and take advantage of that, you know, do some form of self-referral or find some sort of workaround so that they get some bonus for not actually having to do the work or for doing the absolute minimal or finding some way to to weasel around it. You, you have to keep your eyes open, right? Because they're going to just try and get what they can, not necessarily anything that's extremely volatile, but if it's possible, there's a good chance that it might may be happening. And you know, they can be opportunistic as well, not even realizing that they're doing something fraudulent. 
for example, there's a lot of apps out there, third-party apps that are used by all the diff couriers for all the different delivery services that will grab shifts. Now, these couriers aren't necessarily doing anything malicious. They want to potentially just work more. So they're trying to get these shifts assigned to them. Uh, but unfortunately, it breaches T and C. It exposes their credentials to third parties who aren't verified in any security type manner. So there is the potential for them to be malicious themselves in gathering all this data. And then there's also potential loads on a system. You know, you don't want a system to be crashed. What would you say are the key indicators of supplier fraud in a network? What should other fraud fighters in the food delivery space be looking out for? Oh, well, when it comes to couriers, I, I would suggest just the same with customers, you know, keep an eye on the activity, right? You want to be careful of account takeovers, for one. You want to try and keep your drivers safe. So if there's any social engineering that's going on through contact, you have to make sure that there's policies and procedures in place so that there's proper verification of the person who's talking to you from the other end. With the threat that's coming on by these third-party applications that are using courier details, uh, you want to make sure that you're monitoring for any sort of anomalous account changes, you know, banking information being changed just before payouts names, phone numbers, email addresses, anything that's being changed on an account, just make sure you got things to monitor anything anomalous that might be suspicious. With GPS spoofing, luckily there are ways of detecting that. So make sure that you've got protections in place. And again, we can thank Pokemon Go for everything that's come about for that one. <laughs> you know, and then just keep an eye on, on their behavior. You know, what what are they doing? Because a lot of the workarounds when it comes to you know, bonuses is just a matter of how they're traversing. So keep an eye on, eye on that, what they're doing there. Referrals, you know, look for duplicate accounts, information, make sure your documents and everything are all in check. Just keep on top of your side and you should be able to prevent as much as you can. Do you think that working with courier services is a possibility to help curb this type of fraud? Absolutely. Because when it comes to policies, you need to have that communication with them because they're the ones who are going to be able to affect any sort of real policy change. They're part of that approval process and they know more about the courier pool than you do as a fraud fighter, right? Because when it comes to courier services, that is their job. So some markets, you may have less couriers than others. So you got to be a little bit more cautious. You know, every market could potentially have to be handled differently uh, when it comes to any sort of fraud or abuse that's exposed. So you absolutely have to communicate with them to make sure that everything's being done effectively so that it doesn't negatively affect that market too much. I have a question about not a specific fraud type, but fraud in general. So most online merchants are fighting the battle between adding extra friction to curb fraud and offering frictionless and very seamless customer experiences. In your opinion, how can they find that balance between blocking fraud, but letting genuine customers have the best experience possible? That's a very difficult question to answer because it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? You absolutely want to have as frictionless an experience as possible. But like I say, 
the less friction there is for customers, the more traction there is for fraud. So with that in mind, there has to be some friction in place at key points. Um, where to exactly put it is really up to your company. There's certain ways that you can do it. Some companies use risk-based friction. So if a specific activity happens, some threshold is met, uh, be it a score of some sort even, then there's some form of friction put in place because they don't want to apply it to everybody. Myself, personally, I say that there's a couple points where you need to apply friction and the main one being at account creation, right? That absolutely you need friction there. Otherwise, right from the get-go, you're gonna have bad data. I don't like having bad data to work with. It makes my job a little bit more difficult. So I would absolutely add some form of verification at account creation. Moving forward from there, you know, payment addition, you may want to have some form of friction, but really it's up to the company and where they see that they need it. And I think that's the difficulty when it comes to this space and fighting fraud, that it is very much dependent on the company. There isn't a one size fits all when it comes to fighting fraud. No, there really isn't. And as a fraud fighter, you want to stop all the fraud possible. And, you know, best way to do that is <laughs> as much friction as possible. But you realistically, even as a fraud fighter, you know you can't do that. So you have to pick and choose where you can apply it. Do you want to apply it at potential risk threshold of score? Do you want to apply it at a anomalous login or account detail changes, account creation? Where do you need to put it to make your job as easy as possible? And that's what you fight for. Not everywhere, not anywhere that you can potentially think of, but honestly, where it is most effective and efficient for you, don't fight for everywhere. Definitely. There are just so many external factors that really impact fraud and how it affects companies. So, you know, we have the pandemic, which has seen just so many people go online and has increased activity in a way that I think many couldn't have imagined previously. We've mentioned social media and the way in which fraudsters are using that to really expand their reach both in terms of reaching genuine customers and having them behaving badly, but also communicating to one another and sharing advice and sharing tips on how to get around different barriers. And with all of these external things that aren't under your specific control, how do you think companies can continue to protect their bottom line, particularly in difficult financial times like you know we're seeing now? And how do you think we can keep fraud high on the agenda? Now, when it comes to protecting the bottom line, unfortunately, there has to be a lot of things that are put into place and, you know, say some restrictions, freezes. But the company, in my opinion, really has to focus on instead of growth, they have to focus more on making things as best as possible for their current client base. If they can make them good for all the customers that they presently have, then those customers are going to order more, even in these difficult times. They want a good, clean, happy experience. If you can 
optimize your product and focus on that, then you'll have your customers placing more orders. But at the same time, you know, you're also investing in making that same opportunity for fraudsters. So it's a double investment that's necessary that is outside of any sort of growth or expansion, basically making things good for your current client base, and then also investing in your fraud team and your trust and risk and safety and all of those aspects to keep the fraud out. So at that, not only will you get happier customers ordering a bit more on your platform, but you're going to also save money in the fraud that's prevented through those teams. That is really great advice, especially as we move into the later part of the year and holiday season where, you know, fraud is bound to really kick up a notch. So hopefully that helps whoever is listening and merchants and fraud fighters to protect themselves a little bit more as things get a bit tougher. Yeah, and those times, they're, they're not just coming, they're here already. And during the holiday season, everyone's going to see a big impact from that. So be ready. Well, on that note, thank you so much for your advice today, Sean, and for taking the time out to speak to me. It's been great. Oh, thank you for having me on.